I invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4. If you notice an improvement in the sound quality this morning, does anyone notice the improvement of sound quality? Uh, you can thank Stephen Leinert, and Bobby Pepiot, and Ashley Gish. Uh, they have worked tirelessly, and it's great to have it. All right, Philippians 4 as we continue our study here. Verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask his blessing upon his preached word again this week. Well, Father, as we turn to your word, we ask you in your kindness and in your mercy, as you do every week, that you would be our teacher, that you would show us more of the gospel, that you would show us, O oh God, that it is good and wise for us to trust in you. Uh, Father, we thank you for your ongoing love for us. We pray for all those who are in particular need of your grace this morning. Would you be with them all? In Christ's name. Amen. Well, our passage this morning is a unique one. I would say it's unique for several reasons. One, it's certainly one of the most popular passages in all of Scripture. Be anxious for nothing is close to John 3.16 as one of the most likely passages to be memorized. It is well known and it is well loved. But I think it's unique for another reason, and that is I don't know of anyone who does not want the outcome of this passage. Do we not all long for peace? Truly, as someone said, this is the sermon that I should want to preach and the sermon that you should want to hear. That's not always the case. Sometimes the passage is much less popular, either because it's so convicting or it's hard to apply or hard to accept. But I ask you this morning, do you want peace in your life? I don't think I'm going to get a lot of no's from anyone to that question. Instead, on this topic of peace, of personal peace, Christians and non-Christians alike have been asking these questions and searching for these answers since the beginning of time. Can you guess how many books have been written on the topic of personal peace? I cannot, and I did not waste my time even Googling that answer because it's simply endless. It's countless. All the searching in the world, we've always been asking these questions. Peace in our heart, in our minds, in our lives. Don't we long for the peace that God has for us? And I think there's also something else going on this morning which prevents us from naturally experiencing the peace we so long for. 
Don't we all have something in our life, even this morning, that causes us all to not experience that peace? Maybe it's an exam, maybe it's work complications, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's finances, but I guarantee there is something on your mind this morning in which you can be in worry. It's true of all of us. And that is why these words of scripture are so important and why they are so popular, because we need them. Until Christ returns or we go to be with him, we're going to have these anxieties. We're going to have these worries. What we're going to see this morning is that in Christ, we really can live supernaturally peaceful lives. Let me say that again. In Christ, we really can live supernaturally peaceful lives if we're willing to truly believe the promises that he has given us here. So let me ask you this morning, what's on your mind? What's consuming your thoughts this morning? What is causing distraction for you in this sermon two minutes into it? Can you name it? Are you willing to name it? If so, our scripture will speak directly to you and lead us how to deal in such a way with all of these things. Okay, we are making our way to the end of Philippians, the book of Philippians through the end of Philippians chapter 4. We hope to be finished by the end of this month. As we have seen, Paul is providing applications for us. In uh, Philippians 4.1, we see this therefore, and that's based on everything that we have heard thus far in Philippians 1, 2, and 3. And now, all under the umbrella of standing firm that we see these truths of Christ, we now can apply his truths to our lives. Last week, we saw that standing firm, including seeking reconciliation with people inside the church, fellow church members, where we've had conflict. Today, standing firm against those things, those people, those problems which create worry and which seek to take the joy away from us that Christ has given to us. I want us to see that the peace that Jesus provides for us is found in at least three different ways this morning. We stand firm in our faith in order to do these three things. First, to be joyful. Secondly, to be in prayer. And then thirdly, to think of our Savior. So this morning, be joyful, be in prayer, and to think of our Savior. And may we be a people who enjoy God's peace this morning. That is my hope and that is my prayer. All right, first, look back at verses 4 and 5. And notice how we are commanded to be joyful. This seems like such a very difficult verse and command, especially in that it is repeated twice. Paul commands us here to rejoice. That is, he commands us to be joyful. It's a command. Remember last week in verses 2 and 3, Paul could have commanded these two women who were fighting, but he didn't. Rather, he invited them to do something. Now, though, it's a command. Now, though, he gives us a command that we are to rejoice. We are to be glad. The command is so strong, yes, he gave it twice. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice in the Lord. All of Philippians has been about tracing this reality of joy. And now it's a command. This is what the Lord has for us. To rejoice basically means I command you to be glad. 
Now, how many of you enjoy being told what to do? Not many of us. If you're a teenager here this morning and your parents made you come to church, I'm glad they did. But I wonder if you enjoyed being told what to do. Of course, we don't like that. This is strange. But yet we're being told, you must be glad. What a strange commandment. And of course, this is not some kind of superficial gladness as in something that we could trick ourselves like with a fake smile or just trying to look happy. No, it's more than that. Again, look at the verse. It's rejoice in the Lord. What does this look like for us practically? This gladness that we are to have. You see, when we rejoice in the Lord, it means that it is not something that is dependent upon anything that we have, anything that we have created, anything that we have manufactured. All of those things could be shattered. But to rejoice in the Lord is something that is real and true because it's about Him. Rejoicing thus in the Lord is the decision that we make in our heart that no matter what I am going through today or tomorrow, I truly believe that Jesus rules the world. Who began a good work in me will complete it until the day of Christ. That's what rejoicing in the Lord is. It really is believing that Jesus rules and reigns this world, period, period. Now be encouraged. This is not an impossible command. It's not. It may seem like it, but it is not. But it does take some work on our part. Remember here, Paul's teaching in all of chapter 4 is under this umbrella to stand firm. So for you to believe this good news of Jesus, it involves you standing firm in it. That is for you to exercise your faith, to believe, to trust. So to be glad in the Lord is not this laissez-faire, don't worry, be happy attitude. Rather, it is exercising our faith in Christ. It is this. Do you believe this morning that Jesus is in charge of this world or do you not? The definition of rejoice that I found this week in my study, I just loved. It's simple, but it's so important. It's this. To rejoice is to have joy, which comes only as a result of God's grace. Do you know what God's grace is? It is his supernatural gift that he gives to us that apart from him giving it, we would never have. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. There are two verses I have to have us read this morning. Romans 8, verse 31 and 32. And notice this about God's grace. Verse 31 of Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Church, do you see that this promise is in the future tense? That is God's grace, his favor toward us will continue day after day after day. So when can we expect to receive God's grace? It's every day. Thus, when is the command to rejoice expected? It's every day. As long as God is giving of his grace, then we are called to be glad. 
The key to accept this command is to understand what joy is and what it is not. Tim Keller says this of this command. Keller said, To rejoice cannot mean to always feel happy because you cannot command an emotion, but to rejoice is to treasure a thing, a person, to access its value and then to reflect upon its beauty. Do you see the difference? When we rejoice in the Lord, we really can examine him. No, we are not joyful because of cancer. We are not joyful because of job loss. We're not joyful because of broken relationships. Of course not. But we can be joyful in the Lord in the middle of those things. Why? Because he is with us all the time. Again, if you think about the author of this letter, Paul did not rejoice with being in prison because he enjoyed being in prison. He rejoiced in the Lord who was with him and near him while he was in prison. So because of grace, God's promise to show you his favor, you absolutely can be glad in Christ today. There's no limit to his grace. You don't have to fake anything in your disappointment. Even in our persecution, we really can be glad. Now, whenever I do premarital counseling for couples who are preparing to get married, I used to always have couples have this conversation together. And I would always say something along the lines of, this world has fallen, so we must set our expectations accordingly. Right? Sicknesses, pain bills, all of that. There's some truth in that. Life has is, life is fallen. It can be hard. But over the years, I've tweaked that question a bit. Yes, life is fallen, but also I've added this question. Jesus rose from the dead and lives inside of you. Set your expectations accordingly. Do you see the difference? There's brokenness and hope at the exact same time. Meaning all kind of problems really can't exist. And some of them can be really, really hard. And Jesus will be with us all the time. So joy is available to us all the time. So Paul thus gives this command. If Jesus is with you, you can be glad. In my lifetime of being a pastor, Sandra Marlowe modeled this as well as anyone I ever saw. If you don't know, Sandra passed away last year from a horrible illness. She was diagnosed with ALS, and for her length of days on this earth, she was not defined by her illness. She was defined by her Savior. There was joy in her heart and in her life, and it was not because she was suffering. There was joy in her heart because Jesus was with her the entire time. Jesus was her identity. And I think Sandra's story helps us to understand verse 5 a little better. Look back at this. I struggled with this as I studied this week. Think about it. What does our internal decision to believe that Jesus is with us all the time, what does that have to do with anybody else? What does that have to do with others on the outside? Isn't this all about me and my decision to walk with the Lord and to trust the Lord? What's it have to do with anyone else? Well, according to verse 5, it must have a lot to do with everyone else. Let your reasonableness be known 
to everyone. To everyone here means those who are outside the church. Notice, the application is so important. This term, reasonableness, the Greek word does not have an English equivalent. There's just not one there. It takes a full description to understand what's going on here. This idea of reasonableness is the idea of a big personality all based upon God's grace. Other words to translate this include big-heartedness or outrageous generosity of spirit. Here's the point. When we, by God's grace, are glad in who the Lord is, regardless of what is going on in our lives, in our sufferings, when it's all true, when that happens, it affects our entire demeanor, our personality in such a way that those outside the church notice us. Now, hold on. That's not what you think this means. It's not that we are to be happy all the time so that people will believe in Jesus because we're happy. It's more than that. Reasonableness would not be that term. But this word means that all of the people outside the church We now treat them differently because we recognize how the Lord has treated us differently. See, they now know something that's different about us because we recognize how the Lord has changed us. One commentary said this about this concept. He says, when the Lord changes you, you now have the ability as a Christian who now looks at other people with charity in their faults merciful in their failings because we now can take their whole situation into reckoning. Our reasonableness means in Christ, I can now look at you and attempt to see the full picture of all that's going on in your life. Your brokenness, your hardship, your sin, and know that Jesus sees all of mine and gives me grace. You see, you can't fake this. This is the work of the Spirit. So let me ask you this morning. Who are the people that bring the greatest anxiety in your life? Seriously, who are the people that are stressing you out this morning? Who regularly sins against you? At work, at the gym, at church? You see, because you rejoice in the Lord, you really can be reasonable with them. You can look at them and see their faults and also know that Jesus sees yours. And when that sets itself in your heart, you will look at everyone else differently and you'll treat them differently. When you're glad in the Lord, you can now be at peace with other people. Church, don't we want this? Doesn't the world long for this? It comes from first rejoicing in the Lord. He's with us. All right, first, we've seen that we are commanded to be joyful. Now notice, we're also commanded to be in prayer. Back at verses 6 and 7, these very, very, very familiar passages. The antidote to this lack of peace we have in our lives is connected to this act of faith we have in Christ. It's expressed in prayer. Again, This is not hard to explain this morning. Be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So obviously here, the battle against our worry is to pray. 
this worry, this anxiety, which Paul refers to as essentially our obsession with all those things that we cannot know the outcome. Certainly those things that we cannot control the outcome, and including those things in which we fear the outcome. Jesus taught this exact same principle in uh, Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this, Do not be anxious about life, about what you will eat, or what you will drink, or what you will wear. For the Gentiles worry about these things, and your heavenly Father already knows them. You see, Paul and Jesus, both filled with the Spirit, both taught, don't be consumed about all that you don't know when your heavenly Father does know them all. Years ago, I was in a Bible study fellowship, BSF. It's a community-wide Bible study. Some of you are very, very familiar with this. It's a great study. I would have been in my late 20s when this happened, maybe early 30s, but it was a while ago. And the teacher that night seemed so very, very old. As I've thought back, I'm pretty sure he's about my age now. But I distinctly remember him stating one time when he looked back over his life, he wonders why he worried over so many different things because now at his age, he could look back and see how the Lord worked all of those things out. Just like he said he would. Isn't that true? And doesn't it reveal our struggle for today? Our worry, our anxiety, all of those things that we don't know, they really can be crippling. They can. And full disclosure, this has been a very real part of my life and journey of faith. For whatever reason, I've always found it very easy to worry about things. Anxiety has come so easy for me in life. You need to know that there was even a season in my life where my family physician recommended that I take medication for a while, which I did due to anxiety. I understand this is a real, real thing. I would love to tell you this morning that I discovered Philippians chapter four and I prayed this prayer and all my anxiety went away. I would love for that to be the story, but that's not what happened. I had known these verses for decades. Rather, I have found that this trust that the Lord knows what he is doing is part of our ongoing journey of following Christ, of learning to trust, of growing in our faith, of resting in his promises, of believing that he is good and that he knows what he is doing. So what do we do as we learn, as we grow, and as we mature? What do we do? Church, it's not complicated. We pray, we actively engage in conversation with the Lord. I've always found this fascinating. Notice here in verse six, Paul uses three different terms to describe this conversation with the Lord. He uses the word prayer, supplication, and request. And essentially they're all saying the same thing. Each of these are a different Greek term. Prayer means exactly what you think it means. It means to talk to God. Supplication means to pray for particular things. And requests, that is the plural form of prayer and supplication. So what does all that mean? What's the application? It's pretty simple. Take every single thing to the Lord in prayer again and again and again. Take it all 
to the Lord. Again, there is no mystery here. We are to pray about everything. So this week in your life, go to your heavenly father in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and ask God to work and trust his timing in all things. In our office here at the church, throughout the week, it's not unusual for us to have a problem or a situation where we need to make a decision and we really just aren't sure what the best decision is. Since Rhonda Weber has come on our team over the past few months, Rhonda often will say something along these lines. She'll be very polite, but she'll also be matter of fact. She'll simply say, remember, we're Christians. We don't have to know everything. We ask the one who does know everything. And we all kind of say, amen. That is what we do. We pray. And notice this, as you pray, there's one ingredient which affects everything else. Our joy is connected to this. It's this. As you pour out your worries, as you pour out your concerns, as you pour out your anxieties to the Lord, we simultaneously blend into those prayers words of thanksgiving of that which the Lord has already done in our lives. Paul says here, with thanksgiving. You see, as his followers, we recognize all that Jesus is doing. Our gratitude to him is part of this peace process. The fact is, if you know Christ this morning, if you trust him, if you believe in him, think about all that he has already done in your life today. He has opened your eyes to his love. He came to earth for you. He lived a perfect life for you. He died for you. He rose for you. He is praying for you now. He gave you his word. He gave you his spirit. He gave you your baptism. He gave you a church family. He secured our future. He has given us some forms of health. He has blessed us in so many ways. Our souls as a church and as a culture, we deeply need to express our gratitude day after day of all Jesus has done. Are you feeling the weight of stress today? I'm sure you are. There is so much to be worried about. Then take time today and thank our God for what he has done as you ask him to do so much more. Even in prison, Paul could recount God's grace. We see this throughout Philippians. Do you see the promise? It's right there in verse 7. God's peace will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. Church, remember all the Lord has done. This is our gift to us. Jesus is with us. Is he enough for you today? If so, then you pray to him. If so, you thank him. Peace is found in rejoicing. Peace is found in prayer. And then lastly, and we'll come to the table with this. Notice in verse eight, peace comes when we think about our savior. Hear these words again and let them fall fresh on your soul. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Friends, the one who went to the cross for us, 
the one who rose from the grave, the one who took your sin, the one who redeemed your life from the pit, the one who prays for you now. He is just. He is honorable. He is pure. He is lovely. He is commendable. He is excellent. He is worthy of praise. Of all this world possesses to take our minds away from Christ, may we afresh think about our Savior as we prepare to come to this table this morning, look at these elements and be reminded of his promise. As our closing hymn states, fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, thee will I cherish, thee will I honor, thou my soul's glory, joy, and crown. Jesus is worthy he hears our prayers. He answers our prayers. He loves us. He prays for us today. Let's think of him. And as a people of Christ, let's be filled with his peace. He is worthy. He is today. He will be tomorrow. And he will be the day after that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and transition to the Lord's prayer. And then we will come and feast around his table. Lord, as we ponder these words, as we think of you and we think of your promises to us, Father, I pray that you would truly prepare our hearts to be people who live by faith, who trust you. Father, as we ponder our past, we can trace your grace, but Father, we are not blind to the reality of difficult providences we have all been through. So I pray afresh this morning, you would remind our hearts that you indeed are good and that you indeed rule this world. And now we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.